This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Khan, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Nikki Gritschka. Nikki is the CEO of Refetorio Gastromotiva in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and co-creator of the global social gastronomy movement. Listen in now as Nikki describes how she's feeding the most food insecure and vulnerable populations both in Rio and around the world. Her work is critical, and COVID-19 will not stop her. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Hi, thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for being here. I have been following your work um, very closely. You run an organization in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, called uh, Refetorio Gastromotiva. You guys serve food to some of the most vulnerable populations in the city. It's where people go to eat. If they don't get their meals there, they do not get food. What are you guys doing right now? How has COVID-19 impacted your operations? So um, um, Gastromotiva is a social organization is based in Brazil, founded in Brazil by uh, my partner David Hertz, who's a chef. And it really tries to find solutions through food. So it's from employment to serving those that need every night, like you were saying through the uh, joint venture we have on Refetorio Gastromotiva with Food for Soul and Alexander Forbes. And um, I am, yes, yeah, so... I'm representing both those initiatives today, which we obviously got surprised three weeks ago with um, the crisis arriving in Brazil and where people are already living in food insecurity, which is the public that we serve every night at Repertorio Gastromotiva. You have seen it firsthand. Um, And now we were looking at ways to continue serving because poverty and food insecurity are obviously on the rise. And so how can we continue serving while... Um, not feeding into the COVID crisis on um, infecting others and creating too many groups. So we came up with two concepts, basically. The um, Refetorio Gastromotiva has turned into a food bank. So channeling the food that gets stuck, that doesn't get to places it needs to get to, or just from kind donors that give us food. And we redistribute it. Because what we have are very um, important channels to get food and many organizations are without access to food. And so we decided to turn the refetorio into this food bank where we serve um, over 20 organizations nowadays to bring food to their um, local impact projects. So um, yes, that's one of the actions that we've done and we've already redistributed just last week um, over 6,000 kilograms of food that arrives to those in need. And then Gastromotiva, we have a lot of students. So we have the possibility to multiply whatever actions we want to bring to um, to the local communities. And so we came up with a concept of community kitchens where we empower our entrepreneurs that are community-based to cook meals. It can be from the smallest little kitchen serving 100 meals in their neighborhood to 500 um, serving bigger communities. And um, this way you don't have community members leaving. They um, don't face security in their own neighborhoods and so you sort of like contain the emergency right now a lot of your students come from the favelas in rio where i've visited with you guys um how at risk do they feel in those neighborhoods with this virus spreading when they're really right on top of each other i think in the communities what we're facing right now is that um that people aren't as worried yet 
Um, and now there are a lot of campaigns of passing the information to the communities because they obviously um, have less access to information and less access to real information. And so a lot of NGOs have started giving access to and explaining even groups of people self-organizing and distributing soaps and the message and uh, procedures. And so this has been a big wave. So people started taking it more serious. Um, what has been happening, we have been seeing more people on the streets um because there is no access to food because if you have a norm, normal you know so <laughs> normal society operating um you have people giving out food if it's small or not and so now people really on the streets have access to nothing and so in the communities um we're trying now with with a chain of social gastronomy projects around brazil to contain people within their communities and so if you create um, sources of um, access to food in communities people will stay as well and um, some people have no choice. They live with 20 people in one house. So what do you do? So even the basic sort of like uh, regulations are helping already. But um, let's say all of it is right now preventive. We haven't seen that many cases yet in Brazil. But we're learning from the countries that are under real lockdown now. It is interesting to think that social distancing has a class component to it as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's an easy thing to do when you have your own home or a big park that you can be in six feet away from other people. But in incredibly densely populated areas, such as so many in, in Rio, it's quite worrisome. Yes, it is. And, um, and it's where it's most alarming now in the cities as well. Um, and again, people, there's a lot of informal um, businesses I mean, that's what our society thrives on here. And these people have zero income right now. So we're seeing our government reacting quite slow, which is why um, social organizations and activists are coming together and acting um, because help is needed. People have no access to income, so which means then they're falling into poverty right away. While some of the richer populations are just locking down themselves and they have access to food, they have access to um medical services so it's really scary and especially if a government does not support um the support system um it becomes even worse because those that were already behind and already marginalized they are suffering the most i admire the work that you guys do to take care of these people on a daily basis can you tell me about some of the regulars who come into gastromotiva for their meals i know there's people who come in there every day and depend on you guys and whether or not you're able to communicate with them in any way right now um so gastromotiva's project refetorio gastromotiva um receives um people that are really in very vulnerable situations living in the streets um but all of them are brought in through other organizations. So we work with a handful of organizations, but their main occupation is working with the vulnerable population in the streets. And so um, part of their programs is our program, but if it's where people get a meal, that's not only nutritious, but served in dignity. And um, so we've been actually keeping very closely in touch with the other organizations um, that on a regular basis give support. So instead of, um, these guests coming in to Refetori Gastromotiva every night, it's where the idea sparked of becoming a food bank so that we can actually channel not only to these organizations, but many more, the food that we would usually receive and more. <laughs> so they can actually, within their own infrastructure, start cooking because we already um, have access to those people that most need it. I would frame it a bit like this. And so we've been um, closely monitoring what's happening. And the people who you guys typically serve, um, from what I remember, range from 
you know, children who are food insecure. Um, I also recall it being like a tremendous place of, of shelter and welcome for the transgender community in Rio. Yes, one of the projects we work with, um, Casa Name, is exactly that. And we have some beautiful stories from this weekend of all of them cooking together in the shelter uh, with the food that they received. Um, the kids are from, from some of the other projects of um, home, homeless shelters mainly. And um, obviously they're, they're at the biggest risk as well right now. So if a hot meal can help a little at least, um, that's what we're trying to reach. Can you tell me a little bit more about the stories from this past weekend of, of people cooking together and what they mean to you guys? Um, so first, uh, people started learning what it means to have a good meal because um, food insecurity can be defined. Is it um, having access to any food or is it having to dignified food? And so that's exactly the concept that um, Massimo Bottura from Food for Soul came up with. Of food needs to be served in dignity. We all have the right to good food. And so... Um, especially Casa Nem that was cooking with our food. I got some videos from the grounds in Rio and it was beautiful to see because they were recreating in their own way some of the recipes that they've seen throughout the year. And they were not only preparing the rice and beans that is a typical dish in Brazil, but they're trying to bring the creativity that they've learned and having fun with it because it's not, again, only about having the access to food, but then um, the beauty behind it, the bringing people together to have a meal. And obviously, you know, like it's very difficult of cooking together but not being you know the social distancing and in a situation of living in the streets i think it's um there are a lot of conflicts in the situation but yet seeing smiling faces on these videos of people cooking together from casa name was beautiful and that's what we say under the concept of food for all it needs to be good food and um and dignified food i think it's interesting because that's how the term of social gastronomy emerged by itself as well right because gastronomy over the years has been um, gaining this fame of fine dining and exclusive. But then um, even Alain Ducasse in, during the Olympics, when you were here as well, we um, interviewed him around social gastronomy. And he said, food, so gastronomy has always been social, but we just forgot about it. So we just need to reconnect to the source of why we cook and serve food. And it should remain an act of love and um, not being about fine dining or not, but it should be accessible, good food for everyone served with love. And so I think that's where this conflict of social gastronomy uh, comes in as well. You have very brilliantly created a network all around the world of people who are like-minded, serving different vulnerable populations, making sure there is food, making sure there are meals. You've started posting stories from a lot of these leaders around the world on the social gastronomy Instagram feed this week. Uh, can you take me through a few of those that have been especially meaningful to you and also tell me why it's so important to be doing this kind of project now and how COVID-19 impacts food issues all around the world? Um, yes. So, of course, we've um, a few years back, two and a half years <laughs> to be exact, we um, saw this need of connecting those that are serving on the ground, so the local with the global. So that's where the um, birth of the social gastronomy movement was. So the movement is really a network and a community of um, practice of, first of all, exchanging and learning from each other, but also being str um, strong together. We know that this community of social gastronomy initiatives and activists, uh, we support each other. And so um, our first response during um, the crisis really hitting in so many countries around the globe where our projects are based 
uh, we said we need to come together and, and show what's happening on the grounds first, support each other. So we started a series of dialogues first to talk about the challenges um, that we're all facing on the ground. On Just like I mentioned, for us, it was the big question, how do we continue serving food for those that most need it right now with respecting the social distancing and all the rules that are in place in order for the COVID-19 not to spread. And so um, this is obviously a challenge that most of our projects had. And so we got around the challenge and started talking about innovations and um, also challenges that we didn't have an answer to. And so um, I got really inspired because we saw so many great stories from the ground where people didn't think much, but just said, we're gonna act because everyone that's part of a social gastronomy movement are projects and initiatives that are very hands-on. These are entrepreneurial, social entrepreneurs um, that just use food um, for social change. And so um, we came up with that idea of a solidarity chain. So um, showing, first of all, the connectivity of this network and that the reality isn't so different from Cape Town to um, Kosovo. And so what we've been spreading are these stories from the ground, it's very locally rooted, just like most of the projects that are part of our network, but also that we see challenges in common and showing how people just come together in, in moments of crisis. Because we hear so many bad stories of um, toilet paper running out in many countries or, you know, like food shelves being um, ripped apart because everyone just stocks up at home. So this is like the negative sides or... Um, the attacks in the streets on certain places, like all of that just really puts this dim and, and sadness into everyone's life. And so we said, no, there's so many beautiful stories, so we need to share them as well. And so we started with really um, from, I think the first story was to the Insurgo project in New York <laughs> that we um, made a shout out to where local chefs came together to start cooking together. Um, up to as well, Ebru, that's an amazing chef in, um, in Mardin, in Turkey, who's working with refugee camps. Because I think one of the problems that we have now, we're facing food insecurity with people from our own neighborhoods. But then uh, the refugees are sitting there in a camp that is the most, like it's, it's worse than our poor communities in Brazil that we talked about before in terms of contamination or having access. And those were forgotten all of a sudden. And so people like Ebru with her project um, in Turkey are still continuing to serve those refugee camps. So I'm really inspired by people not giving up because those projects that are doing these services are struggling, just like the restaurant business in general, right? Because a lot of them are dependent on donations or on um, restaurant services themselves, on events. And so their income was cut completely. But yet they said, no, we need to be out there in the refugee camp or in the streets cooking. Um, there's Jose Andres that, you know, revolutionized the access to food as well um, in the U.S. And so I think there's a bunch of them I would encourage for everyone to go on the social gastronomy movement Instagram to check out some more of these stories because each of the projects are doing amazing things. For example, as well, the Clink, which is a very different concept. The Clink Foundation of the U.K. works with prison inmates. First of all, training those prisoners um, to cook a little bit like Astromotivas concept in um, in Brazil with poor communities and then he places them within um, the workforce of hospitality industry but obviously that all got put on hold and so who takes care of these inmates so he started a solidarity fund for these inmates to take care of them so that they have access to something and so each of the projects is obviously working with their own public that they already serve um, but trying to find innovative ways to support and what inspires me most of this, most of them are starting to do this in collaboration. It's not just one project exclusively working on it, but you see this 
groups of people coming together and wanting to do it together because I strongly believe in collective impact. So this is great to see that as well. This is sparked during this moment of crisis. I was amazed by Abru's story, especially. I mean, she was talking about how Turkey has the highest number of refugees in the world. I think there's yeah. 4 million refugees in, in Turkey, many of them from Syria. And the fact that somebody's able to step up and help feed these populations at a time where food supplies are becoming more compromised and yeah. worry and anxiety is spreading, not to mention, you know, a virus. Yeah, I mean, it's our opportunity to reinvent how communities work, right? Take care of your neighbor. If everyone would just share their meal, <laughs> we could have many more solidarity stories of people just um, taking care of those that are closest to us in terms of geographic distancing, right? Because every neighbor needs help. It's so sad that it's come to this, but I, I do think one advantage you have now is you probably do have the most captive audience you've ever had to pay attention to these things. People's eyes are open. People's ears are open. The world is watching. That's true. And people are willing to help. So I think what we said is our, when we brought out the manifesto of the social gastronomy movement, um, we really focused on this, that solidarity needs to spread faster than the virus. And I think we can achieve it by people watching and hearing. <laughs> I mean, hearing this podcast, I encourage everyone as well, to, to become part of this, um, spreading the solidarity. I mean, it can be from the smallest act to the uh, most generous act like Ebru in the camps. You know, I remember being in a car with, with you and David, and I think we were going to see the Paralympic Games in, in Rio um, when they were there several years ago, when you guys were talking about, do you think we need a manifesto? Do you think social gastronomy needs a manifesto? <laughs> and I'm so happy to see that years later, it's something that's been actualized and has spread and there are participants and it's making a difference in people's lives. Yeah, we've come quite the way. And I feel like now we're becoming more united in this moment of needs. Um, it's really, really great to see that people are looking for this unity to do together. Because I think that's what um, we've been sharing as a message for the last years and now people are really coming on board and and are seeing the impacts of collaborating of connecting and then creating these partnerships as well right and here we have a common enemy i think this is the first time that we're seeing the whole world um being under threat no matter which color or <laughs> um, religion you have i mean there's no no separation of that front so now you see this need of sort of like like going against the common enemy and it's global so literally that's why you know we wanted to show for the solidarity chain that the same problems that sweden has we're facing in brazil and the same ones you know might be faced in turkey and so i think that was really shedding the light that we're all human um and we can all come together to to spread more love and solidarity and more food as a first step <laughs> Can you tell me how else you guys are pushing forward in the social gastronomy movement? We had mentioned, uh, you had mentioned earlier that you guys were about to launch some new material on your website in terms of information, where to donate, grant applications. Uh-huh. We did a, um, a few dialogues online just to connect people and hear what's happening on the grounds, which from the solidarity chain and some other actions emerged. But um the three things that we launched was, yes, the first thing, um, a resource hub online that will be um, 
will be up and running as of tomorrow, which is sort of digesting these stories beyond our network of social gastronomy, of what solidarity stories are happening, what are the solutions emerging on the ground. And we pre-digest it and sort of like channel it in the different areas from production to distribution. So people can look at it and access what's happening around the world. We're also um, beyond this content collecting grants like there are a lot of emergency grants around the world, but sometimes it's difficult to see if you're not part of a newsletter or of a network, you don't have access to those. So we're going to do a big listing that's going to be you know, on a daily basis updated of anywhere where these projects, social gastronomy projects could apply to get extra supply and extra um, funds for what they're doing on the grounds. And um, yeah, so this, this hub, as we call it, uh, resource hub should help people to digest the information much easier and have it in one place and start there'll be a forum for people to converse as well um we saw it i mean there's so much information out there now so you almost get overwhelmed where do i find what's relevant for me so hopefully through our team pre-digesting it and channeling into one place um we can inspire and give access to people that need access to information so that's going to be all online on um, the socialgastronomy.org um as of tomorrow and um, the solidarity chain will be portrayed on the website as well. And we're working towards a solidarity fund. So all of these projects that you can watch um, the stories from the grounds um, and the little videos that everyone posted, um, you can donate to each of them to support the work they're doing. I mean, really diverse from um, the migrant kitchen coming together and cooking for those um, that are at the front line for um, the health workers up to um, the Mardin stories, the Turkey stories in the refugee camp of serving those that are really left behind. And so um, anyone that connects most to one of these projects can through the Solidarity Fund online as well contribute. I'm so grateful that you guys are consolidating this information. You're right. If it's spread out all over the place, it's very hard to figure out what's what. And I think it's so important to have it all in one place. Thank you. Nikki, the show is called Takeaway Only. I'm wondering what your big takeaway has been from the beginning of this fight and working on efforts within this pandemic to get food to vulnerable people. I think my biggest takeaway is that we all have a choice. Um, that we can either continue living like we've been living and taking care of ourselves of the ones that are closest to us, or we can change the way that we're living and really think of a collective and working around our local communities and giving support that both that most need it. And that it doesn't become just an action now that we unite under a common threat, but we can make this our new reality. And I think that's what will be the most important outcome out of what we're living through now, because there's going to be a lot of um, victims on the way in all senses. And so if we can turn this into something positive in the long run, um, my takeout is that I want to contribute to this. I'm always inspired by the work that that you guys are doing, um, you and David both. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your friendship. And we will be following your work. Thank you so much. That was Nikki Gritschka. You can follow Gastromotiva on Instagram at Gastromotiva and the Social Gastronomy Solidarity Chain at social underscore gastronomy. Coming up tomorrow, the rare tea lady, Henrietta Lovell. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. 
Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beepoles. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.